But if you're trying to like really create a vibe for somebody, you need to know the company ethos. You need that's that's huge. You need to know the energy and the pulse of, of who they're talking to. And then when it comes down to like curating the total package, I rem- always remember that no one will really actually remember what you say. They'll rarely remember what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Walker. As a former naturopathic doctor and anthropologist, I align the intersection of personal performance, purpose, and innovative thinking in badass women working to change the world as entrepreneurs and go-getters. Anthropology is the study and science of what makes an entrepreneur think, feel, and perform in a path compelled by a vision for helping others, solving problems, while building a life on your own terms. Together, we are exploring the health, mindset, and strategies that distinguish the world's best entrepreneurs. This is the Anthropology Podcast. Welcome to episode 235 of the Anthropology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Megan Walker, and we are doing something a little bit different today. So normally when I record these, I am deep down in the dungeons of my podcast studio at home. I am not looking at anyone or anything. And today... I have quite the view today. So not only can I see the mountains behind me here in Palm Springs, but I am sitting across from my guest, which is such a treat after 18 months of lockdown. So it really is my pleasure to introduce you to someone I have known for so many years. I've encountered for so many years, but never really, it's been a while, right? Never really had the opportunity to go deep. So I am super excited to introduce you to my friend, Sammy Taggart. And Sammy, I'm wondering, mm-hmm. before we do anything else, yes, can you just share with people a little bit about who you are and what gets you totally jazzed in the world of entrepreneurship? Oh, that's the best question. I think entrepreneurship for me has been an incredible journey because I started my first entrepreneurial journey as a door-to-door salesperson in college. Oh my Ouch. God. Uh-huh. Okay. We're going there. Yeah. Yeah. So I learned rejection so quick, but no one really understands how good it is to get 30 no's right away. And that's a little thing we might edit out, but no one understands how good it is to get rejected that much and to just have the perseverance to keep going. So that has been one of the driving forces into my entrepreneurial, into that journey. And then... From that, most of the people and how you know me is the DJ as the main guy that creates the vibe for everybody at the Mindshare Summit and for Traffic and Conversion and Mind Valley. And that whole journey actually started for me in the bathroom at a nightclub because the only job I could get after a really tumultuous summer was to work as the mint and napkin guy in a in a bathroom at Alley Cats in Denver. And the crazy thing about that is I used that same entrepreneurial hustle to gain rapport with people and make pretty good money. So I actually, I know there's so much more to your story. So, I, but I want to back up for one second and I want everyone to just like hold a promise for me in this situation because you mentioned the door-to-door sales piece. And one thing I'm... I am going to put my kids into 
is I want them to be that person on the street who asks you if you want to donate to the charity and oh, nine man. times out of 10, they so say no. Good. So cruel, but so it's, good it's a bit, you. it's a bit cruel, but I'm coming at this from a loving place because you mentioned this whole idea of being able to withstand rejection. Like you realize it doesn't define you or any of those those pieces. So I'm just acknowledging that. And I'm actually just asking all of you to keep this as a tight secret, but you know, that segue into, and then we, we really need to talk about what happened in the bathroom at this, at this club. I think sometimes we get caught up in this idea that entrepreneurship is, is totally glamorous and it's easy. And if we're not in a flow and if it's not easy, then we're probably in the wrong place. Has that been your has that been your experience? Like, how did you overcome that? Because so far in listening to the story, this isn't an easy. No. Well, I think 99.9% of all entrepreneurs, Megan, will say that the entrepreneurial road, if somebody showed you what was going to happen, they would be like, F that. There's no way I'm doing that. Uh, so when it comes to the journey of entrepreneurship, it's a day-to-day kind of discovery of what you can do and what you're resilient for. And then ultimately what your zone of genius is and then when you find that zone of genius how to build the people around you and so that's what i learned from being sidelined as this dj in these places that everybody that's in this that makes it work they have a team and this family that they've built around them. And I always dreamt of that. I was like, what does that look like? What would that feel like to say, oh, I just talked to so-and-so. Let me have let me have Cassandra reach out to you and she'll take care of the rest. And then we can have this dialogue. Right. That is, that's been the, the game-changing piece for entrepreneurship for me. And that's what I hope for anybody that's listening to this is to learn that, yes, you will wear multiple hats, and yes, it's not easy, but if you can use some of the tools and the things that you have been able to teach people and that you let people know about, then their entrepreneurial struggles don't have to be that insanely shitty because it can be really tough, and there's a lot of nights of just pulling your hair out when you don't use the stuff that's out there because that's the problem, right? People are like, dude... Every super successful person has not only just left clues, but they've left you courses, podcasts, books. <laughs> they've left everything. Episode one place. through 234, <laughs> if you are looking for references on those pieces. Okay, but you know, and I agree with you. And that when you are just starting out, that is, that is the hardest part. And we, we, were, we had a meeting in the last few days and we were talking about the early stages of entrepreneurship. And someone looked at me and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be there. Um, and that's because you, you you graduate from that, but there's so much power in moving through that experience. So what was the journey from the bathroom at this nightclub to DJing on some of the most compelling stages in the entrepreneurial community? Uh, so the journey was, I'm, I'm big into learning personal development from people like Tony Robbins and Brendan Burchard, even JJ and a lot of the people that were here with this weekend. Uh, and that was that... You have to have a vision that's so compelling. And mine was to be on stages to perform. And so my reticular activating system was set. And if they don't know what that is, if you haven't realized what that is, that's super simple. If you were to go out and buy a new car, all of a sudden you see that new car everywhere, right? And so my unconscious mind was really honed in on how to get on a stage, how to be in front of people performing. And so what my unconscious mind was doing was like, Hey, how do you get from this bathroom and into this DJ booth? And how I 
made that transition is what was happening in the bathroom is the only thing that kept me there was the fact that I could walk outside of the bathroom, look around the corner, and there's this DJ just pumping up this crowd. And I was like, I got to get out of this place. (laughs) What am I doing here? And so my unconscious mind was like, okay, well, what would get you from here to there? And I noticed really quickly that DJs love to party. They love taking shots and they love women. At least the guys liked women. And so I would save my tip money. And I was like, I bet if I buy them shots and introduce them to some girls, they'll teach me what to do. And so I started saving my tip money. It's exactly how I made it. (laughs) I bet that's what you were saying. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm sure that's where the entrepreneurs came from. (laughs) So I did that for five weeks. And uh, after five weeks, I had accumulated enough knowledge that on a Friday when one of the DJs couldn't play... I was able to jump in and do my Eminem moment and took over the reins of this nightclub for 30 minutes and dropped some like theoretical music bombs on people, right? And just got this crowd whipped into a frenzy. The VIP section had some really good promoters in it that night. They introduced me to another promoter, and that promoter set me on the biggest stages in Denver. So that in the super short explanation was how I got started. And before I knew it, those events, and there's a lot more details in there. I don't know how deep you want me to go into them, but there's some crazy stories in there, things that are not necessarily, I don't know, they're for sure not PG, but the things that happened in the middle, oh my God, it's just nuts because I look back on it and I was like, damn, you did that. That was crazy. Yeah, but I find there's power in that, right? You look back, like I look back at some of the things I did, I'm like, I can't believe I had the audacity to step in and just do that. Like in hindsight, I had reverse imposter syndrome. Like, is that something you, have you, did you struggle with imposter syndrome? Like when you just stepped on the stage that night and you're like, I'm just, I'm just going for it. This is my moment. I'm glad you say that because people ask me all the time, like, how did you have the courage to do that? At that point, I didn't have anything to lose. Yeah. So when you have your back against the wall, which my back was up against a real like shitty wall, both (laughs) literally and and figuratively. I was like, this sucks. I have nothing to lose. What if they could fire me from working in the bathroom? Which actually was funny because they came rushing to the DJ booth and I thought I was going to lose my bathroom job. And then they were like, what are you doing up here? And I was like, what do you mean? I'll go back to the bathroom. And they were actually like, no, you should be up here. And so to, to piggyback on what you're asking, that imposter syndrome really came after I had made it to these bigger places and the thing that happened to me where imposter syndrome set in the biggest was when I was playing at Traffic and Conversion. And I had, oh, do you know who Rachel Hollis is? Mm-hmm. So that chick threw me under the bus on the main stage. And it's like, DJ, play me something good. And I was in the booth in front of 8,000 people. No one told me she was going to do this. No one actually knew she was going to do this. And when you play those main stages, I have on three sets of headphones. I have one to mix. I have one that's listening to the backstage of people like, hey, someone's coming up on stage. Then I have a third set of headphones, and they're all small. So one's big, and the other two are in each ear. So I have three voices. The third one is from the back of the line where they're like, hey, camera one, push up on Sammy. Camera two, I need this. So I need to hear all these three things. My headset explodes. Sammy, We've got so-and-so back. He's ready to come up after Rachel. Then the camera guys are like, Sammy, push up on Sammy. And I'm like, do not push up on me right now. Do not get that camera close to me because I do not know what song she wants me to play. And I pull up, I pulled up a Stevie Wonder song. No, I pulled up a, I feel good. And she's like, no, not that one. Play me something good like if I'm drunk in college. And then it hit me 
so hard. My hands started shaking. I started sweating. And I look on the side. There's a there's a screen that's like two stories high. And it's me on that screen trying to find a song. And I'm like, oh, my mother effing G. What, what is she doing to me? And so at that moment, it was when I was like, I'm not good at this. Like, I can't do this. And that's when imposter syndrome hit me. And I had three shows left that night. Not only did I have the rest of TNC, I had to play all these other parties where people are like, I saw what Rachel Hollis did you on stage. And we thought that was such a good act. And people thought it was an act later. But oh my I had to go back to the drawing uh, board because I was like, am I not a good DJ? Could, I couldn't pull up a song that really, really sent it home. And that is when imposter syndrome hit me the most was when I felt like I had the most to lose. Right. Does that make sense? Totally. It totally makes sense. And also, as you were saying that story, if I had been there, I would have hit Bed Bindler and the wind beneath my wings <laughs> to make her walk up on stage. Well, I'm see, just saying that's maybe what intuitive. That's, mm-hmm. You missed your damn calling then. Actually, it's the only song I can name on the spot. But yeah, maybe, maybe. I ended up playing a remix of, of um, Don't Stop Believing by Journey. So everyone really literally thought that is what you know, they had, they had scripted together because it went off so well at the end, but I ran backstage at the end of that. And I got up in her, I was like, why did you do that to me? What was, what was that? I was just so fuming. Cause as a, as somebody that is trying to have a good show, a good run of show, that was just like the worst thing you could ever do. But that, at that night I didn't sleep. I went through all my music. I went through all the things and I just looked back on the, on the trajectory of what had got me to where I was at. And I was like, am I even good at this job? Am I, do I deserve this? Cause it was the highest paying gig that I'd had at the time. It actually to the date, I remember it was the first time I ever booked myself out for more than five figures for a gig as a DJ. And I was thinking, cause all of my DJ friends still made 500 to a thousand dollars for shows. And here I am on this main stage, but I can't even pull a song up. Um, you know, that's when imposter syndrome hits you is when I feel like you've got to the summit and you have that whole fall. Right. Right. I was actually at that event. I wasn't in the room when that Thank God. when that happened, which is the only reason you're on the podcast today. <laughs> oh man. But I you know, I, I remember actually being at that TNC event and walking into a room and like meeting a few different people and going and 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 catching myself, catching myself in terms of stepping outside that comfort zone and feeling it in a different way, which I, I actually think is how you reinforce that you're in the right place. Mm. Like to me, it has become a barometer of being in the appropriate room. What did you What did you learn from that? Like, where did you go from that? How did you manage that? Yeah, the next day. Well, for me, I'm such an extrovert. I went and asked everybody. I was like, "Did you see the Rachel Hollis thing? What What did, what, what did you feel?" And everyone said, oh, that was awesome. It was my favorite part. And, and you were so great about it. And I know that must have been really embarrassing. But honestly, no one knew you were going to do that. And you're such a professional. You just held it together. And it was incredible that you were just able to step up and just take it to the next level. So the the validation of being in the right room, that's really what I looked for. I was like, well, I, and part of me is like, am I going to get fired? They can't fire me at least on this one. I guess I guess I will, you know, keep keep my job. But at the same time, it was just one of those things where you're just like, oh my god, I need validation. I right. need to know that I'm okay. Right. Well, you have you have been in the right room. Like you've literally been in the room at some of the biggest events, working alongside some of the most compelling people in this industry. What have you learned from them? What have been some of the most enduring lessons that have come from them? The 
biggest lessons that I learned from all those folks is they never did it alone. And to have a compelling vision that's so big that it pulls you. Um, the, the dream's so big and to not be scared of that massive dream. So my vision for myself was not just a, hey, let's build a podcast company and let's, let's have a talent agency. It was never that. It was like, let's get on the most compelling, world-changing stages and work with the most influential, impactful people on the planet. And for me, I'm adopted from the Philippines. And when I found out my origin story, my biggest mission was to figure out how to save the kids from not having jobs and to get them put in a place that would be impactful for their lives. So what, that dream was nuts. And so I wanted to figure out what would be the craziest thing that Richard Branson would do or that, um, you know, Elon Musk would do and all these people that have just changed the planet for better. And I learned from them that never being afraid of that massive dream is something that I really took away from it. Have fun, extreme amounts of fun, because it's all going to suck at some point. But if you can do you hang fun, out with anyone who's not fun? No. Is it like a, a that is a that's criteria a, that's to work a criteria. with you? Yeah, like that's a part of the thing. If you can't have fun, if you can't have a dance party on our Zoom call when we're doing shit, then we're, why would we want to work with you? And and then the other thing is, it's you're you're never alone on an island. If you can be, if you can dream that big, there are going to be people that will support you. So those are the three big things. It's awesome. I really appreciate those takeaways. I'm also just like feeling. These, none of these people are, are reasonable people. Like they don't sit no. in a room and they're like, oh, like, let's come up with some reasonable goals. Like it's, it's so beyond that. Yeah. And I remember piece. when I was, that second time I was on Necker Island, they brought me out there to play for his intergalactic party. They, they were like, hey, we're going to space. I was with the Mavericks and Yannick and Sophia. And they were talking about going interstellar. And it was just a casual conversation. And he was talking about, yeah, we have to be an interstellar species, whether we're living on other planets, but we should be mining. And he's talking about Peter Diamandis and how he'd been mining on asteroids for a while now. And the conversation was so normal around this astronomically huge thinking. Like if I go back, when I go back and I was telling my parents this, I was like, yeah, they're talking about mining on asteroids and living interstellar and doing these things. And my mom's like, did you see the new baseboards on the floor? <laughs> I was like, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I did not notice. <laughs> I was like, yeah, mom, we're talking about mining on asteroids. And she's like, I know, but those look great, don't they? <laughs> it's just, that's, and I think that is the, the, the society as a whole is, is not thinking like that. So we need people like you that are visionaries. We need people that go big and think huge and act in, in correspondence to that because it's, it's, it's rare, but it's so necessary. The dreamers really do compel and pull the future forward. And that's what I love to be around. And I don't know how I got lucky to do that, but it's been 25 years of, of working on that. Well, I appreciate the validation of the role of the visionary because you need the visionary and you need the integrator and you've got to have these two pieces, uh, these two pieces working together for sure. I, you know, I want to, I want to shift things a little bit because I think one of the, I think what you offer this entire, I'm gonna, I just call it the broader community of, mm -hmm. of thinkers and entrepreneurs is uh, you add this layer of experience, this intangibility to the experience of 
of thinking bigger. And and I've been at enough events with you where like your role really is to inspire that subconscious to like vibrate yeah. on the same level of the ideas that are being articulated to the audience. Like that's really how I feel yeah. your role is. That's so much pressure. Thank you so yeah, much well, for putting like, that on me. Yeah, well, like play me something really good. That's Sammy. insane. <laughs> I thought it was just playing music. Now I feel... I'm good with Bette Miller. Like, my standards are very low. I am terrified to start playing music now. What if I totally have this up? Oh, my God. No one's articulated it like that. That's great. But I, I do feel like that. So, you know, I'm wondering if you can just speak to this idea of, like, how do you set a vibe? Like, not just running events, but, I, you know, I'm super interested in the user experience that mm. we create as business owners. I don't care if you run an insurance company yeah. or you're a car dealer totally. or you're a naturopathic doctor or like, it doesn't matter what you do. I, I feel like those individuals who have that intangible, je ne sais quoi, like they are, <laughs> they are uh, the Canadian way. You they, must be so Canadian. Je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi. Um, that's only actually funny because we're like in, in the deep States right now. Um, but they, they have this intangible experience that they offer the people that they work with. It's mm. not just branded pieces of paper that you are signing. There is an experience to that. Do you have a do you have a philosophy or approach that you take to being able to really curate the experience for your clients? Yeah, great question. Uh, I get that asked a lot because people are like, "How did you embed yourself so deep in Mind Valley, Mindshare, Traffic and Conversion, like uh, this huge thing?" And right. um, inside the frame, I never really understood what I was doing, but after you know, a decade of doing it and, and having the same clients for a decade. Um, there was a couple things that really started to stand out. And uh, the first one is a, a massive level of gratitude for the people that I work with. And so what that meant, it didn't mean I'm just so thankful to have them. It meant that I went way deeper with them. It meant that I was like, oh, what's your favorite music? How are the kids doing? How's everyone else doing? So there's a level, and Mark Wade was asking me, he's like, how in God's name did you get so embedded with my company? My company loves you so much. And I was like, I think I just really care so much about them. And that comes from starting with gratitude for just having such a, a breadth of, knowing one, I was adopted, so that has been ingrained in me for a long time. But if you're trying to like really create a vibe for somebody you need to know the company ethos you need that's that's huge you need to know the energy and the pulse of, of who they're talking to and then when it comes down to like curating the total package i rem always remember that no one will really actually remember what you say they'll rarely remember what you did but they'll always remember how you made them feel and so when we take these tenets of knowing their ethos knowing their language, knowing the music that they love and the emotions that they're trying to get from people, then I can tell what they need to feel. Sometimes these conferences, they don't need to feel hype and energetic. They want to feel a deep connection. They want, to, they want it to be intimate and it to be quiet. It doesn't need to have that. Like even for three days, they're like, we need intimacy and meditation and these types of things. And so I'll have to know that about them. So there's a combination kind of a knowing, knowing the voicing, knowing that real deep part of the, of the CEO, like JJ as a CEO, she has a super soft side to her. 
that a lot of people don't know and this childlike playfulness to what she does. And so the first year that I played mind played at Mindshare, we did this big pool party and I remember I got that child out of her and she came bouncing up to me and she's like, I love this, this is my favorite. And I was like, that's what Mindshare is. Mindshare is a community of the most sought after professionals in their field bringing out their childlike playfulness. And so I put that inside and that's why when I bookend all these parties and all these things with them, it's all about dancing and bringing that kid out of them. So when we're like thinking of parties and doing the stuff with them, it's like, oh yeah, we should have a bouncy castle at your thing. We should have games everywhere. Of course there should be a bouncy castle. Of course we should have a theme party around like, what is your superhero and what do you dream of being? Right? So that's, those are the things that I've, I think I've gotten really lucky to know. And I, I, I also discovered that through a lot of errors, a lot of mistakes with events where I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just infuse what I think these people want and things have flatlined. Right. Like, but this is what you were talking about before is that success leaves clues. And oh. I'm, I'm just a huge advocate of like, just, just copy successful people. Don't steal their stuff, yeah. but emulate success. Emulate success. hundred percent. So has, has anything like really juicy and exciting happened behind the doors of one of these big events that <laughs> Dude, you can share with time. us? That you all can sell. Let I me mean, know. They're already keeping a secret for me. <laughs> Let's see. Juicy and explicit things that have happened behind the doors. Well, there's always the fun, the fun people on microphones that they don't know that their microphones are on. Mm. And like, some of the most prolific leaders and speakers that you think are just so sweet and nice. They are some dirty pirate hooker mouth swearing people. (laughs) So that's juicy. And and it's always the ones that you don't think never Um, happened to me. Never, (laughs) never. Um, And then there's also, you know, on on the sweet side of it, there's, there's um, some of the most genuine and sweet things that people do that they never say anything about. Like a lot of people will be like, yo, give the staff here. I've seen this happen a lot more than I was expecting. Like, Hey, give all the people that are like picking up dishes and stuff, give them an extra hundred bucks, just slide it to them as you go. I see that happen a lot. Um, a lot of, a lot of, and then this is kind of a delicate thing, but the observance of people doing really inappropriate things during events (laughs) That happens because uh-huh. you gotta, here's something. Is, and if you're a listener and you go to events and you're going back into live events again, you got to remember that there is a front of house and a back of house mm-hmm. and the stuff that people search on their computers and do things and the things and the videos that they're sending to people and the stuff that we see on people's computers when they're working it is it's effing shocking. <laughs> Don't worry. We will not disclose any secrets. No, I was like, should I do that? But no, that, that would be the, uh, and then there's always, there's always like an ousting of somebody that's like, Oh, that person does bonk. So they're getting fired. I get that. I see that a lot. Yeah. You, you are, you are seeing all the things. Well, I feel like this is a perfect place to transition the interview. <laughs> I so was vague about I, that. Did you want specifics? Cause you dirty, that was dirt. <laughs> Megan. I was, I, I, I gave you every out there, Sammy. I gave you every out. We're good. It's okay. We're going to record a second secret podcast behind a paywall. Um, so we're going to transition the interview because we have this component of, of my podcast and I call them our KPI. So just like we have key performance indicators in our businesses, I believe sure. we have them in how we live our lives as well. So I got a series of rapid fire questions for you. And the first one is, has there been yes. a great <laughs> And question number two, has there, <laughs> has there been a book or idea this year that has really like caught you off guard that you've like really, you've just been compelled to share and 
or has really, you know, forced you to think in a different way? Uh, Limitless, Jim Quick's book, Limitless. That book blew my mind, which was great because I had hit a stagnant point in like ingesting knowledge where I was like, oh, I got to read a book, got to read a book, got to read a book. But I wasn't asking myself the proper questions to read the books. And there's this part in his book where he talks about, you got to ask yourself the questions on why you're reading things. That way, if you do this, you'll actually ingest the knowledge and retain it like 80% more when you ask yourselves these proper questions and the framing around learning things. So I went from reading, you know, one or two books and retaining you know, minimal pieces of it to really ingesting knowledge, but re- reading the right books for myself. Right. 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 Um, so that one, and then rocket fuel, like reading rocket fuel. Yeah. It's great. I read it. I read it at least once a quarter because I'm always looking to find the best integrator and to figure out how to use that uh, in my company, you know, as the visionary. And so Rocket Field definitely shows you the structure of how to build a company uh, as a CEO better. And I'm always looking at ways to communicate better with my team because I've realized really quickly that I have fragmented thoughts. And like, I didn't realize that. And they're like, what are you even talking about? And I was like, that doesn't make sense to you. What are you talking about? That's crazy. That makes perfect sense. And then reading that book showed me how to just look at it from there on. You don't have that problem, right? No, I don't. I mean, I don't have any problems really. (laughs) (laughs) That is like 25 other, 25 other episodes. I feel like we're just stacking episodes right now. We are stacking episodes. I'm also just going to remind us that these are rapid fire questions. So question number two, what's your favorite health hack? Ice baths. High five in real life to the Sammy and I actually, how do I phrase this? Sammy and I had an ice bath yesterday together, sort of. Well, yeah. we were, we, we were really both in the same bath, but not at the same time. A, a lot of us ice bathed Even together. Even framing it worse. Yeah. yeah. So we're going down. Question number three, <laughs> how would you define your purpose? Ooh. Wow, that's a great question. Really hit the brakes on that one, didn't you? Okay, so defining my purpose. Uh, I think my purpose is to inspire and to educate. That's my two main things. And I I used to think it was entertain, but entertainment is just a natural part of what I do. So I think my purpose is to really, oh, here it is. This is what I always say. I always want to leave people in awe. I don't even think I can keep going. Last question for you. Entrepreneurship. Are we born this way or do we learn to become entrepreneurs? Oh, I think we're born this way. And then we find the best ones and learn more about it. I don't think you, you're born this way. I, 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 I'm going to leave you with that thought. Sammy, you are doing so many awesome things in this world. You're super fun to follow. Where can we send people so that they can follow along on your awesome journey? We didn't even talk about this, but my entertainment name is Shoebox Moses, and you can go to shoeboxmoses.com, and you can actually find out why they call me Shoebox Moses. But yeah, Sammy Taggett is also Shoebox Moses, and you can go and find me there. Amazing. And that's on all the socials, so Sammy Shoebox Moses. Awesome. Well, we will totally hook you up with Sammy in our show notes and on the forthcoming 10 episodes that we <laughs> yeah. are going to be working on together. As always, I am Dr. Megan Walker. I'm wishing you an impactful week ahead, and we'll see you again next week. 
Entrepology is the study and science of what makes entrepreneurs tick. It's the confluence of the mindset, strategic thinking, and health that we bring to the table as contributors, as purpose seekers, as individuals building out a better tomorrow. The work that we do on the Entrepology Podcast impacts the mindset, the business tactics, and the health of those individuals who are working hard to change the world, to leave a legacy for the future. The best way that we can reach more people with the message of the Anthropology Podcast is if you help us share it. If the message that we shared in today's episode is something that resonates with you, or if you know someone who would benefit from hearing it, please send it to them directly. And if you have felt moved by the content that we have shared, I would love it if you could leave a review wherever it is that you pick up your podcast. Until next week, live life on, in, and with purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Walker, and I will talk to you real soon.